hello, hello. I'm Britt Three, and you're listening to College Writing Actually, where we talk about the how-to and how come of college writing and writing instruction every other Wednesday while school is in session. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Charlie Carroll, the Associate Director of the Writing Center here at Brown University. Thank you for making time to talk to us today, Charlie. Thank you for inviting me. So a bit about Dr. Carroll. A first-generation college student, he holds a BA in History and Religious Studies from St. Michael's College, an MA in History from the University of Massachusetts, Boston, and a PhD in History from Brown University. Charlie has been working at the Writing Center from when he was a graduate student in the History Department. Since his start as a tutor in 2014, he's basically held all the roles, including teaching consultant and interdisciplinary opportunity fellow. In 2018 to 2019, he was a faculty fellow at Wheaton College in Massachusetts. He took on his current role in the Sheridan Center's Writing Center in 2019. Charlie is interested in composition and rhetoric pedagogies, creating and assessing authentic writing assignments, and self-deterministic pedagogies. In addition to overseeing the Writing Center at Brown, he also teaches courses on medieval Europe and the Mediterranean world in the history department. He also teaches the course design seminar for graduate students at Brown's Sheridan Center for Teaching and Learning. What a journey. And a long way of saying that this is my boss, so y'all be good. Today, we're talking to teachers and having a conversation that might seem blasphemous. Is the writing, is the research paper actually useful? Now, believe it or not, this was Charlie's idea. Associate Director of Brown University Writing Center, what brought this on? Thanks to the intro, Brett. It definitely feels like a journey. Um, (laughs) And I actually hope that by the end of this episode, I can make it clear to our listeners um, that expanding writing assignments beyond the research paper actually isn't that blasphemous. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, many instructors are already using writing assignments beyond the research paper. But I still think that the research paper exists, I would say, problematically Mm. um, as the gold standard in writing assignments across undergraduate courses. And I'm hoping that I can help shake us up a bit and talk about why the research paper isn't always the best writing assignment. Shake us. (laughs) So I'll start by talking about how a research paper can be useful writing assignment. I have five points here. So a paper, a research paper, is a great way to communicate ideas with fellow specialists or in the case of undergrad students, to put yourself in the shoes of a specialist communicating with fellow specialists. They can be a succinct way to communicate novel findings to a certain audience. They can be a good way for the author to demonstrate close reading skills. I think a good research paper shows the author's ability to read their sources critically and not just summarize their sources. They can also be a good way to engage with other scholars. Again, a good research paper will make a clear argument and then position the argument within what other scholars have already said about that topic. When I give workshops and scholarly citations, I emphasize that citations are important not just to avoid accusations of plagiarism, but more importantly, show, to show where your argument is situated in comparison to other scholars. And they're also a great way to prepare future scholarly researchers for their writing and research career. Um, also, in addition to Charlie's five points, Uh, six, seven, eight, nine. I also think writing is an extension of processing information. It's organizing thoughts. It's marshalling arguments. And so I definitely think that the research paper has its uses. Obviously, I'm biased. But that begs the question, if we have all of these reasons why it's so useful, why should we go to infinity and beyond it? Yeah, so my last point, um, which was that they are a great way to prepare future researchers for their writing research career Mm -hmm. um, is, I think, actually why we should reconsider, um, in some contexts, offering options beyond the research paper. Not all of our students are preparing for a career in the academy. Thank goodness. Um, And I see this as a good thing. 
um, because there, there are countless ways, I would say, um, to use what we learn in college to make a difference in the world. Mm-hmm. So if a tiny minority of our students are actually ending up writing research papers after college, why not build in writing assignments, which actually teach students how to write in ways that, that are authentic to their future careers? Yeah. So it's about outcome, um, but I think it's also about motivation. Uh, when we create assignments that students see themselves using after college, that could be a, motiva- a motivating factor for many students. Mm-hmm. Um, and even better, I would say, um, when we allow students to choose their own kind of writing assignment, they tend to feel autonomous, um, which can also lead to higher motivation. Yeah, autonomy is one of my favorite words when it comes to writing. It's definitely something that I've spoken about on the podcast before with several guest co-hosts and, you know, alone. Usually, though, we're talking about it in the context of, like I said, autonomous writing. And I think that autonomy is crucial across the board. But I'm sure that teachers, even teachers that are like, yay, autonomy, they're also like, I've been assigning papers since I've been assigning anything. And they're, so they're just tra- having trouble figuring out what a viable alternative to research papers actually looks like. Yeah, so there's been a lot of talk among my colleagues in both educational development and writing centers about, about this very question. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we're talking about here is called authentic assignments. Um, so what is that? Mm. Um, so an authentic assignment asks students to apply what they've learned in class um, to a new situation. So they might simulate the complexity of real-world situations, Um, asking students to use their critical thinking skills, research experience, and judgment to address a real-world or simulated real-world audience. Um, So this is not a new idea. Um, Back in 1998, the educational developer Grant Wiggins defined an authentic assignment using these these criteria. There are six. Um, So (laughs) number one, um, it's realistic, right? So um, it simulates a situation or problem that a scholar or or practitioner in the discipline might encounter. Mm -hmm. Number two, um, it requires judgment and, and innovation, um, so ask for a novel or creative approach to your problem in the field. Number three, it asks the student to do the subject, mm-hmm. um, so it asks them to use disciplinary tools to solve a particular problem. Number four, it replicates or simulates the context in which practitioners are tested in the workplace, in civic life, in personal life. Number five, it assesses a student's ability to efficiently and effectively use a repertoire of knowledge and skill to negotiate a, a, compl- a, a complex task. Um, number six, it allows appropriate opportunities to rehearse, practice, consult resources, and get feedback on and refine performances and products. Okay. what Off the top, like immediately what I love about those, we're having a points by points, <laughs> five points, six points. Like, okay, y'all count with us today. But... What I love about what I just even heard was the specificity. I think that part of the assumption is, okay, if we're not doing a research paper where I can give a very specific prompt that asks for a very specific engagement, it could be like the Wild Wild West. Like, what are students going to do? I don't know. Like, it feels like a little relinquishing of control that could go either way. Um, But what I heard from those six glorious points was a lot of specificity still. You're giving a specific scenario. You're asking for like parameters around how it's answered. And so I think that could be a good settling factor to professors who were like, if not the paper, then what? Like whatever you want, but you can still Control is a terrible word. I don't like it. But you can still set parameters around how students are engaging it to make sure that you are getting back something that's measurable, quantifiable, but also mm-hmm. qualifiable. Yep. So I think that that's a good 
points. That's a good persuasive point in the favor of authentic assignments. And also, 1998, that's a long time ago. I wonder why I have not been hearing this. So I'm excited about authentic assignments, but only in the abstract because that was a long list of like to-dos. I would love a concrete example if you have one up your sleeve, please. Yeah. So first of all, it's not that long ago, <laughs> but I'm also <laughs> I'm also a historian, so I, I think of time differently. Okay. Um, so I was just reading a really fascinating article by Joy Santee in an, a journal called Prompt, a journal of academic writing assignments. Um, so Professor Santee um, is in the English department at the University of Southern Indiana, um, and she uses cartography um, as a way to teach rhetorical composition strategies. Um, so she argues that maps are rhetorical instruments. They make claims which shape political decisions, public debate, et cetera. Really cool argument. Mm-hmm. Um, so her, her assignment asks students to compose a map um, which solves a, a, a real-world real world problem. Um, and it asks students to consider audience, purpose, and context. Some examples um, that she provides are things like healthcare inequities, disability access, racial injustice, just to name a few. Mm-hmm. Um, So students are asked to compose an actual map, Mm. um, and this is uh, scaffolded throughout the course, um, and then they reflect on their composition process and decisions they made throughout the the composition of the map. Mm -hmm. Um, So some questions that she poses for for this reflective activity are are these. Um, What does your map allow you to communicate that that you might not be able to communicate as effectively using other modes of communication? Mm How do you see your map contributing to solving pro- solving the problem you address in your map? Who might your map help, and what other might what what other types of documents or actions might, could accompany the map to help it contribute to solving the problem? Mm-hmm. And lastly, um, what other kinds of problems within your major or intended profession might might be addressed using maps? So I think it's a really beautifully designed designed assignment. Mm-hmm. Um, you can actually find the whole assignment sequence in the open source article. Um, this is a pretty complex assignment, of course. It takes uh, a lot of time to develop yeah. this, this assignment and scaffold it. Um, but there are more straightforward examples, things like policy mem- memos, blog posts, opinion pieces, letters, emails, and so on. Yeah, I'll definitely be sure to link that open source article in the show notes, so look out for that. Once again, the specificity I love. Um, Professor Santee shows us some reflective questions that she's asking, and I think those questions also guide the students thinking. And so again, it's not the wild, wild west, even though it's something new, there are parameters, you you still have some ugh, control over how that information comes back to you, you're still influencing how students are thinking directionally. Um, now that I have given it the props it is due off top, super intimidated. If I got this assignment, I don't know how I would react, but currently I kind of have hives. As soon as you said cartography, I was out of there. My spatial awareness is really toddler level bad. But the other thing that I love about Professor Santee's assignment is how it pushes for students to consider the significance of the course in the world around them. Students don't have to wonder what the relevance is. And so Professor Carroll... Have you used authentic writing assignments in your own teaching? Yeah. So first off, I'm a historian and a self-professed map nerd. Okay. Um, when I was growing up, I, I sort of buried myself in piles of atlases um, wow. in, in my bedroom and just and comb through them just for fun. Opposite um, experiences. <laughs> so that might be why I'm drawn to Professor Santee's assignment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do actually, I think it's really cool and interesting how she conceptualizes maps as rhetorical texts. And she also scaffolds that throughout the course. So I mm-hmm. think... 
even someone like like you, as you said, um, who, who who sort of is you are building your spatial awareness. Yes. Um, I think the course would be really helpful. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, so to answer your question, um, in a way, yes, I have used authentic writing assignments in my mm-hmm. courses. Um, I'll use my course on the history of Paris as an example. Okay. Um, so when I caught when I taught this course on Paris at Brown a couple of years ago. Um, the very first assignment asked students to articulate what interests that what interested them about the subject. So at Brown, we of course have an open curriculum, mm-hmm. um, and so students can take a, a number of courses, and usually they take courses that they're really interested in, yes. right? not just because they're required. Right. Um, so the assignment asked them to describe what they hope to learn in the course, um, and also one content-related goal related to social justice or a career-related goal. Mm-hmm. So they submitted that assignment. Um, then they worked with me individually. Um, to design what we called a communicative media project, oh, wow. um, which tied together their personal interests and career goals into the course material. So here's one example of what a student did. Okay. Um, I had a student that was from New Orleans, um, and he wanted to explore the connections between Paris as a center of the colonial metropole um, and his home city, New Orleans again, mm-hmm. um, as a city on the on the edge of the French colonial empire. Um, so he ended up composing a, a really brilliant um, podcast on the topic. Um, so on top of that semester-long project, um, which was submitted as a portfolio um, and included uh, several opportunities for peer review and revision, um, we also had a midterm activity. I didn't call it an exam. I called it an activity. <laughs> yes, um, rebranding. Uh, rebranding, exactly, um, <laughs> where students were asked to compose articles, um, a page or so, um, for a fictional coffee table book um, okay. on selected objects and texts um, uh, related to the history of Paris. Okay. That was actually an idea I took from my Sheridan colleague, Eric Caldor. So shout out to Eric for the, for the idea. Um, so to be clear, I don't expect these students to go off and write a coffee table book or create a podcast, although, of course, I would love if they did. Um, but I think the assignments were designed to help students use their critical thinking and research skills um, and apply them to, to a project which was interesting and relevant to them. Um, so I would still consider these assignments authentic um, because they're applicable to the students' lives outside the classroom. Enjoying the content? Don't miss your opportunity to support this free writing resource by becoming a monthly subscriber for as little as $3 a month. Cancel at any time with no penalties. Link in the description. Now, back to the episode. Okay, class dismissed from Professor Charlie Carroll. Um, okay, that, no, that sounds amazing. And on every level, like even just talking to the student, how the student took that assignment and ran with it because of the permission he had to think outside of the box, I think is just an amazing recommendation to why we should do this. It encourages students thinking. Research papers ask students to think in very, very particular ways. It sort of constrains their expression before we even get into all the rules of how they're expected to produce that thought and to format that thought. But this allows them to create in a far more expressive way, again, with parameters, but also with permission. And I think that's a beautiful partnership, parameters and permission mm-hmm. that allows students to really be autonomous in their education. So that's amazing on every level. It also sounds just like an amazing way to encourage concept application. But also, number two, I have decided. These authentic assignments sound really involved for the student and the instructor. So now I get why way long ago in 1998, I feel like Charlie's mad because I was like aging him. He was like, it wasn't that long ago. Like That was an extreme reaction. Was I aging you, Charlie? A little bit. Okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> I felt some pushback from that. But now I get why yesterday in 1998 to, to now in 2022, people are still like, nah, I'm good. Write this paper. Because it sounds like a, like a time drain. It can be. Um, and to go back to your point that you're aging me, I think in 98, I'm trying to think I was in middle school. So wow. wasn't wasn't you know that old. But um, anyway, back to your question at hand. Um, <laughs> so time is a major drawback, of course, like any innovative assignment. Um, it takes time to design, implement, scaffold yeah. these. I, I, I hope I can convince you that that time is worth it, <laughs> um, both your time and your students' time. We're 50 percent of the way there. Happy to hear it. All right. So um, for students, it takes uh, additional time and effort to compose an assignment with which they are unfamiliar. Mm. Um, so it takes some time to step out of this research paper writing mode, yeah. um, which they're usually uh, prepared for mm-hmm. in, in, a, in a way, right, um, into, say, writing a policy memo. Yeah. Um, for instructors, um, it takes time to develop an assignment as complex as an authentic assignment. Um, instructors need to draw, uh, need, need to design a new kind of assignment which aligns with their learning objectives um, and also design and scaffolding for these assignments. Um, on top of that, um, we should be sort of working in feedback and revision processes, um, which also take time. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, to your point about parameters, um, we do have resources we could use to yeah. design these. Um, so we're not, we're not starting from scratch. Um, John Mueller um, has created a very useful website which walks, through, which walks instructors through the process of designing and even assessing authentic assignments. Oh, wow. Okay, that too shall be in the show notes. I'm trying to think of what an authentic assignment would be for my like English courses, literature. Maybe like a blog post or a video book review, writing a blurb for the book. I don't know. But there has to be a way to create authentic assignments that doesn't require such an investment of time on the front end, especially Mm -hmm. if it's not a midterm or final activity, hashtag rebranding, like a small scale version of this. But I think um, back to when you originally introduced Professor Santee's cartographic assignment, the simpler examples that you gave after that I think are equally generative and lend themselves to a good diversity of expression. So we had memos, blogs, op-eds, letters. Those are all different genres of writing that still allow you to play with different voices and tones and audiences. And like you mentioned earlier, that's a skill students are, are going to need post-graduation, whatever career they go into. Yeah. Um, and so I think, I think I'm 75% of the way in there now. However you design it, I definitely think authentic assignments are worth pursuing and finding a way to do that works for you if our goal as educators is effective education and not just academic ritual. Charlie. I know you've been interested in anti-racist writing pedagogies. How do authentic assignments fit into that? Yeah, so my interest in authentic assignments arose, I would say, in tandem um, with my interest in anti-racist writing pedagogies. Um, and I actually see these two things as, as linked. Okay. Um, so research papers have their benefits, like I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. um, but they also have their drawbacks. Yes. Um, so thinking from an anti-racist perspective, mm-hmm. um, assessment of research papers is especially, I would say, susceptible to requiring students to conform to um, what Dr. Asawanoi has called the habits of, of white discourse. What's that? I'm going to tell you. Okay. Um, so here, here are his points. Um, so uh, habits of white discourse. Um, unseen, naturalized orientation to the world. Hyper-individualism. Stance of neutrality, objectivity, and, a- and apoliticality. Mm. Individualized, rational, controlled self. 
rule-governed contractual relationships, clarity, order, and control. Okay. Thank you for that list. I hear in the atmosphere someone listening, saying, all of those things don't sound that bad. What's wrong with objectivity? What's wrong with clarity? What's wrong with order? Yep, I hear that too. Um, and I'm not saying those things are bad, right? Um, but they're also not neutral. These standards don't just come down from the ether. Mm-mm. They were constructed over time and based primarily on rhetorical models written by white Western scholars. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll point out here that Inouye cautions us to not view these cri- criteria as static or monolithic. Um, they're ways of experiencing and evaluating the world, which are constantly in flux. Uh, so if we're seeing these criteria as one way of evaluating um, our students' language, mm-hmm. then it's not bad. Um, but I think in many cases, we're using these criteria as the only way of evaluating language, say in the research paper. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're narrowing, I think, our experience of our students' intellect and language and viewing them solely through unconscious habits. Um, mm-hmm. These habits are historically historically constructed um, but, uh, to those who constructed these standards over time. Yeah. I, you know, I think, thank you for that quick gloss. And I think it's important to do because when we are so used to doing something, when we're used to just giving a research paper and the most that we think about it is what's the prompt that, that we're asking them to respond to, it gets really easy to either ignore or justify the real hidden curriculum that's harmful within research papers. Because whether we want it or not, when we put that out there, there are expectations of how it's supposed to come back. And those expectations are built on white academic conventions, right, that students then have to wrestle with. And so I don't think there's any harm in just removing that. Even if you have a research paper and offer this as an alternative, right, for students that are like, nah, research papers are my jam. Can there be an alternative for students who are like, actually, the research paper has always been a site of violence for me. Mm -hmm. I think as educators, who are empathetic to our students, we have to honor the history that our students have with the academy and that it's it's a fraught one for a lot of them, for too many of us to ignore, certainly. So again, thank you for that quick gloss. Again, that was Dr. Asawa Nue. If you haven't read his work, get into it. Um, and so what I, what I heard you saying about authentic assignments is that they can give the best of research papers without those hidden hazards. Yeah, so it, I think they could do that if they're designed carefully and thoughtfully, sure. right? Um, so well-designed authentic assignments can encourage and value diverse epistemologies and use of various Englishes. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that only that in only assigning research papers, um, we're missing out on the full intellectual diversity of our students. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm constantly fascinated by the directions that my students take these assignments, um, and I've learned a lot from them, to be mm-hmm. honest. Yeah. Um, and they can make for a richer intellectual experience for both my students, I hope, and also for me. <laughs> um, and they can better prepare students for life outside the classroom. 100% agree on that. Thank you so much for your perspective, Charlie. Really good points for us to keep in mind. Teachers, if you have thoughts on this episode, take to Twitter and share your thoughts. Please mention us with our handle at RealCollegeComp. If you have questions or deep musings about instructive pedagogy and practices, DM College Writing actually on the Twitter. And you could hear your topics or your on your favorite streaming platform. All right, we out of here. Wishing you teachers much growth. <laughs>